so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Hey guys, I'm, um, I, I felt this morning, I woke up and um, I prepared this amazing message, but, but, but God, eh? And I just felt I wanted to share something as family. Is that all right? Just to sit here and share with you for the next little while as family. And that scripture that was read by Beck, and thank you, Beck, just stepping in because Alex has had to go to hospital duties. And we've got all sorts of things that have been happening this morning, but that's, that's life, isn't it? That's daily life and how things get in our way. So I just wanted to share just a few things. So partly that scripture. That scripture is a story of an amazing woman, Mary. Mary of Bethany. And it's repeated in the Bible. It's repeated in Mark and it's repeated in John. And actually in John, in the chapter of John, it's in chapter 12. And she anointed Jesus' head with oil. And it's just a few days before he's going to the cross. She's anointed his head with oil as preparation for his burial. And yet, if you flick over to chapter 13, you find Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. I think there's a connection between those two things, eh? She's anointing a king, and he's showing how to serve as a king, servant king. But I just wanted to read another story, another anointing, another scripture, and it was the scripture that came to this morning. And it's found in Luke 7, starting at verse 36. It said, So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus over to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived as a sinful woman and lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster box, an alabaster jar of perfume of nard. And she stood behind Jesus and stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began, the, the tears ran down her eyes And they dropped onto his feet. And she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed them and poured perfume on them. She poured out this nard. And then the Pharisees who had been inviting him to see this, they said to themselves, if this man was a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, said Simon. Two people owed a certain amount of money to a moneylender. One owed 500 denarii. That's about $100,000. And the other owed 50. Neither of them could pay back. So he forgave them both their debts. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, so I suppose it was the one who had the bigger debt. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? She, you know, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with the tears of her head and she has wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing me from the time I entered. She has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
I think God blesses when we just read his word. Simple as that. But I just started to think about this this morning. As a, a few things around that. You know, as I said, John, Martha was there and Martha was anointing. These, these two stories have great similarities, but they have great differences too. One was a woman and Martha, uh, Mary was in, in this house and she was in the house of a, a leper. And isn't it funny how that guy had been healed of leprosy and yet they still referred to him as a leper. And in this world, we can often be healed and set free of stuff, yet people still refer to us in our past lives. Yet Jesus said, he who the Son set free is free indeed. But this woman, this woman, she's a completely different story. And and this connection started to draw me in. And this story of this this woman who was a sinful woman, things had gone wrong for her. And as Pam said, you know, nothing was perfect this morning. Nothing's been perfect in our lives, but things go wrong, yet... She came to Jesus. The one thing was this alabaster box. They both brought their pouring in an alabaster box. An ointment of nard. And nard cost about a year's wages then. And both of these women, they came and they lavished it on Jesus. One on his head and one on his feet. And this this one about the sinful past just drew me in as I was reading it. I've been reading it all week thinking I was going to preach something. But the Lord said, look at this story. You know, she's there, she's so focused on Jesus that she doesn't care what's going on. Maybe she cares, but she cares less about the judgment that's going on about her, the words that are being said. She's a sinful woman. She is so focused on Jesus. She's so caring about what Jesus thinks. She doesn't care what the world thinks. And this morning, I want to just chat, just for about 20, 25 minutes, and I want to pray. But I want to talk about two things. I want to invite you to consider, what is your alabaster box? What is it that God wants you to open up this morning? And maybe you want to reflect on those scriptures in the next few months. The other thing I want you to do this morning, I want to invite you to open that box. I want to invite you to open that box before the Lord, before Jesus. See, I've been, Pam and I have been in ministry for about 24 years in this nation. And a couple of years back in the UK. And we've come in, we've worked with all sorts of different people groups. I've had the privilege of working with government in mental health and suicide prevention. We've worked overseas with the broken, with the, all sorts of different things. And we've been able to influence people in traumatized situations. And we've served in these places. And as I started to reflect on this, this concern rose up in my heart. And I want to share this concern with you. That we sometimes put programs ahead of our devotion to Jesus. We put programs instead of focusing on what Jesus would do. And Pam said, ladies, relax. I want to say men in the room, relax as well. We consider the feet of Jesus. If you go back to Mary, she chose the better way. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She poured out her devotion to Jesus. So Jesus didn't come to establish programs. It's possible to have a church where there's all sorts of programs running and blessing the poor from morning to night and speaking into society every day, all day, all day long and not be devoted to Jesus. That troubled me. And I was like, really broke my heart. That we, I know that we're not going to be that place. Because Jesus wants us devoted 100% to him. Above and be all in both of those stories, what it teaches me is that we need to be people who are devoted above everything else as followers of Jesus. We need to devote our time to him as a believer and a Christian. These women demonstrated the first thing was priority. Their priority was to get to Jesus you know, everything flow, flowed from that. The priority for us is to worship. That was great. Wasn't it amazing, like, seeing six men stand up and declare Jesus yeah, this morning? 
It's amazing. You know, you don't gather around the traps. Often churches are, don't have men up the front. Because oh, women have nicer voices. But it's raw. There's something about that devotion to Jesus. But we want honor. Honor that. And these men got up to do that to honor women. But the, everything flowed from this. You know, John Piper said that missions exist because worship doesn't. And Bono, don't quote him often, but he said, you know, you get religion when the Holy Spirit's left the building. I don't want those things. I believe that we need to be a place where we devote our lives to Jesus. You see, the day will come when, when our mission activities will cease. The day will come when evangelism will stop. The day will come when our faith is no longer required because we're in heaven with Jesus. But you know, if you look in the Bible and if you re reflect on last week when we shared out of Psalm 23, verse 6, the key is this, there will never be a moment where worship ceases. We will worship for eternity. We will pour out devotion to Jesus for eternity. So I'd invite you to consider this morning, what is your alabaster box that holds you back from pouring out to Jesus? See, the priority for these women was Jesus. The priority cut through all the challenges of the culture right there for women to come and do the things they did. That wasn't acceptable. You know, it cut across their, their fear of being ostracized by religious communities, by criticized and mocked or ridiculed. It actually cut across, possibly they could have died for what they did. But it cut across all of that because they just wanted to get to the feet of Jesus, to worship him, to be devoted to him. You know, it's possible for me as a pastor to preach, to teach, to lead and to run programs, but not honor Jesus. And if I do that, you can push me out the door because I would not be worth it. But sometimes I've done that in my life. And it's possible to have a healthy church program from the outside without any honoring of Jesus whatsoever. And, you know, we can go to worship gatherings and conferences and we can lift up our arms and there can be lights, action, camera, we can have coffee afterwards, and we're going to have that. We're going to have coffee and food. That's going to be cool afterwards, you know. And the kids are going to serve the mums. But we miss Jesus. And you know what? If we miss Jesus, we've missed everything. This is what troubled me this morning. I woke up and said, don't miss me. Don't miss me. My encouragement to you is this morning, don't miss Jesus in the middle of it. You know, we forget that. We forget that primary purpose, purpose to worship Jesus. Then we're lost. We're stuck. And I've done that in my life. And I've done it in church when I was a new Christian. And everything was about performance. And we're going to spend some time in another of our foundations in the next few weeks on identity and love. But when my identity, as Pam said, was in performance. We were a great pair of performers when we married 42 years ago. Great pair. We could perform all day long. But God had to strip all that away from both of us. Strip it away because it had to be about discovering the main thing. And the main thing, church, is Jesus. And we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. We have to prioritize. See, I had to prioritize my life. I had to reorder it. And I have to remind myself on a daily basis. And I think God was giving me a nudge this morning. I said, hey, chill out, Keith. Take a seat. Talk to your family. To rediscover this main thing. So that Jesus can be the center of every activity, everything we do, everything flows out of Jesus and his love for us. And if you think that's, that, that's easy, you might say, oh, that was easy for you, Keith. I can tell you it's been hard. It's been painful. At times I've wondered if I was ever coming out the pit. You know, it's heartbreaking. It was exposing in our relationship and in our relationship with God and other people and being vulnerable. See, creating vulnerability actually builds relationship. 
There's actually a psychologist of Christian, Brené Brown. She said vulnerability actually creates relationship. Whereas anger and blame and all those things, when we point the fingers at people, they just dissolve relationship. And we've got to look at these fingers. That's what I had to do. Is look at the ones who are pointing at me. Deal with me. But you know, so much of our life. But the other key to this, as I did this, it was liberating. It was transformational for me. It was freedom to be me. Because I'm bald and I'm 63 and I don't care. Because God loves me. But it released me from the expectations that other men and women had on my life. Where they thought they might own a piece of me. And demand something of me. It reminded me that every breath I take, every moment I'm awake, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's a key. So I can't prioritize that for you guys. I'm sorry I can't. You know? I can't even read your minds. It might surprise you, but pastors don't read minds. You know, I have the gift of the prophetic, and I can sometimes have a prophetic word and see stuff. But if we're going to really do this, then when you go home, it's your heart and your head that is before the Lord. So you need to make it about priority. Is Jesus your priority? Is that in your alabaster box? I don't know. The next thing that I saw with these women is they paid a price. That was a year's wages, let alone the financial cost. They were just pouring out. You know, and I'm convinced that this, this is what was prayed for. You know, As this was prayed, as I prayed about today, I've been praying all week about this, this particular sermon. And God woke me up and said, no, reorder it this way. It's about, you know, he's not going to break these boxes. He wants to break some boxes this morning. But he doesn't want to do it with a great club hammer or a pickaxe. He wants to do it gently because that's the dad I know. He loves you so much that he wants to open those boxes gently with kindness, with mercy. You know, I wonder if some of us just need to count the cost. I, I sat there this morning and said, God, do I need to count the cost again? Because when we left the UK, it cost us everything. It cost us relationships. And we lived in youth with a mission. And we lived in three rooms dedicated to Catholic priests as a family. And then we went to one room. I've told you that. It was, it was crazy. But, you know, I wonder if we just need to count the cost and say, Jesus, today you're worthy. You're worthy. Just think that sometimes we've got to pay the price. Come back to our first love. And I don't mean the first, all the positive stuff. You know, Jesus is good. God is good. It's about that suffering stuff. My wife is long-suffering. She's been married to me for 42 years. She's known me since she was 16. I tell you, sometimes in my life she was long-suffering, but she's done that to follow Jesus. See, we have no plan B. I've got to tell you, we've got no plan B. I've told you before. Pam and I are here. As long as God has us here, we're here. We're not going anywhere because we have no plan B. If Jesus doesn't turn up, then we've got problems. You know, but being in that place of losing everything, these women could have lost everything. Being broken for it. Are we in that place where, God, I'll be broken for it? I'm willing to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you're with me, God. I'm willing to live empty-handed before you, Lord. I want to give you my life. I'm willing to, be, to lose everything for you, Jesus. Yeah, sometimes that, this has come at a cost of being chastised and, and chased down. Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. These, these two women, they paid a price to come before his feet. You know, Jesus, you know, could it be a prayer to say, Jesus, I come with my time, my imagination. I'm going to give you the best of my time, the best of my imagination, the best of my living. I'm going to give it all. So we have priority. They demonstrated priority. And they demonstrated 
that it was a priority and they were paying the price. But the other thing that I saw in this story this morning was proximity. These women had prioritised getting themselves to the feet of Jesus. They had to be there. That woman's feet, uh, tears dropped on his feet and on his body because she was right there, right next to Jesus. They had to be close enough to touch him. And I was stuck by that, that story in Luke. In, uh, in Luke verses 38 to, to 40. Let me just pull that up again. 38 to 40, it says this. As she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. She kissed him, and she poured the perfume on him. And the Pharisees then went on and said, if Jesus knew it was a prophet, he'd know what was going on. And that was when Jesus said, I've got something to say to you. I've got something to say to you. I just want to skip across to another story in the Bible. And it's found in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And it's the story of Hannah. And Hannah was another amazing woman who desired to have a baby. And she just, she, she got to, she knew she had to get to the, the temple. And she rushed there. And she was expressing herself deeply in the temple. She was weeping and pouring out her very soul. And it's one of the most intimate encounters I've, I've read in the Bible of a woman encountering God. She was pouring everything out. And Eli, who was the old guy in charge of the temple, he comes out and he thinks she's drunk. She thinks, he thinks she's drunk. He missed it. He missed it. He completely misses it. Just like the Pharisee here in this story misses what this woman is doing. And you know, Eli reprimanded the woman. And here we got this Pharisee reprimanding Jesus. And he's really reprimanding the woman. <laughs> if Jesus knew this woman was, she's a, she's a, a prostitute. But you know, for the moment, Hannah and this woman were very centered. Jesus was right in their lives. God was right there. They needed to get to God to express it. Hannah had to get to the temple to express it. These women had to get to Jesus' feet to express it. You know, one was anointing his head, the other's anointing his feet. And there's a question I, I've asked here at this church before, and I ask, I ask it at teams I work with. And it's the question how's your soul? And how's your soul? The last few years, you know, many have lost connections. You know, we've come through some weird years and we've lost connections. And there's been disappointment that have ravaged people's lives. And overwork and all sorts of, you know. But I'm going to tell you, you know, we live stream this and high live stream guys. But you know, and we, we preach and maybe some of the sound doesn't work. But you know, in 20 years time, nobody's going to go, that sermon you preached, Keith, was rubbish. They're not going to preach and go, oh, that live stream was all crackly and stuff. You know what they're going to say? Did you love Jesus and did you love me? That's what they're going to remember. People remember how we love Jesus and how we love them. How close are we today, guys? Are we close enough to touch his feet? That your tears would drop on his head? That you could kiss him like this woman, not once, but again and again and again and again? Because he's close to you this morning. He's not in some other place. He's here. Jesus is here right now. He's right here in this moment. He's right here in this building. He's right here at the Vine Church where they're meeting. He's right there in Bookham. He's everywhere. He's there because he wants to encounter. But you know, the funny thing I found when these two stories, missions and all those activities, they flow out of this devotion to Jesus. These women's devotion flowed mission. You know, in, Mark, in the Mark account, Jesus says this, the Mark account of uh, Mary anointing his head. He says, the poor are always with you and you can serve them whenever you want. But I won't be with you. It comes out of devotion to Jesus that flows. 
I'm not suggesting it's either that or either this, but I am saying this. You can serve the poor without being devoted to Jesus, but you can't be devoted and not serve the poor. You can't. It's an impossibility. We need to do that. We need to be devoted to Jesus. We need to see his... You know, when we're devoted to Jesus, we start to see stuff. You know, we start to see stuff in the world that we didn't see when we're not looking in the face of Jesus. You know, the deepest problem is not, it's not our culture. It's not all the, the crazy stuff that's out there. It's not everybody else. It's not them. It's us. It's the church sometimes. The deepest challenge is us. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, the problem is always with the church. It's not with our culture. We can reach different races. Who do you call them? I worked in the cops for many years, and, and it was always their fault. It was them. We always blamed them, and it went all the way up the tree. And when it got to the top of the tree, they said, oh, that smells like fertilizer. Let's push it back down. Because it was all about them. But the problem is it's here. You see, if we have a confidence in our gospel, we need a confidence in the gospel. The gospel is the key. Jesus died. He was resurrected. He's come again. We have the Holy Spirit. But to serve a broken world, we've got to have a conviction that Jesus is the answer. 100%, not 99. Jesus is the answer. No plan B. Be willing to suffer for him. Willing, these women were willing to be in prison for him. If our relationship with Jesus gets stronger and stronger, our mission will get clearer and clearer. I'm convinced of that. So if we remain connected to Jesus, we stay connected to him, then we do the right things, we say the right things, we go to the right places. The Holy Spirit tells us when to speak and when to shut up. And you know, this week in our house, we had a, we, we had a guy come to measure carpet. And, and he gets out of his car and he's got a limp, he's got a big brace, he's six foot six. I said to him, he introduced himself and I won't use his name. I said, mate, you've got a bit of a limp. And he says, oh, yeah, I had polio. They gave me, I've got some medications and they gave me polio. And we talked about that. And he said, but you can't look at things the way the world looks at them. And I kind of looked at him a bit strange. And we got to the first bedroom and he's measuring up. And, I, and he said something else. And I said, are you a believer? He said, I am, but I've walked away from the Lord. He said, how did you know? And then he just started crying. And then, and then I just asked him before I go, I said, can I pray for your knee? I pray for your polio leg. And he said, sure. And he sat in our bed, in our bedroom, and he wept. And he broke. And he fell into my arms and said, I feel like I'm home. You know, that, that's the thing I'm talking about. Not the, the garbage preach that I might do. That's the love of Christ. Yeah. That is it. That is the gospel. And that troubled me this week. You know, we, we can put all these things together. There was a woman, an American gospel singer. Her name is Julie Miller. Some of you might even remember her. There you go, some old people remember it, like me, older people. Some young people are going, who's that? Who, what, what? She had a really squeaky voice. It was, it was squeaky. Who's that other pop star that some people remember? The current one, but anyway. She said this, she was interviewed for her faith. And, and the interviewer said this, said, you know, Julie, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And she said, everything. And he said, can you break that down? As a follower of Jesus, how do you do that? And here was her answer. Well, you love Jesus and you do what you like. And the, and the interviewer said, beg your pardon? And it was going out live radio, thousands of complaints. How dare she? How does this woman say you can do what you like when you love Jesus? But what does the Lord require of us? We could go to Micah. Micah 6 says, walk in humility, mercy, justice. Or we can go to 
Matthew 22, and it says, Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, fundamentally, Julie Miller was right. If we love Jesus as a follower, we can do what we like because if we love Jesus 100%, we do what he likes. And if we do what he likes, we like it too. We need to do that. Can you just imagine David or King Asaph writing the Psalms out of obligation and not this devotion? Oh, well, I guess I've got to love you. I guess I've got to love you, YCBC, because you're kind of my church. I'm kind of your pastor. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't want, I guess. We can't do it out of that. We've got to do it out of love, guys. We've got to do it out of love. We can't. It's out of devotion. Say, so I've been married for 42 years. I was thinking about it, you know, it's like I still, get, I still enjoy going on dates. In fact, we're going on one this week. I've got to have a date with my wife for 42 years, nearly. And, you know, it's like, yes. But you can just imagine going on that date. And we get there, you know, I say to Pam, come on, what do you want for eat? Hurry up. Huh? What? Oh, I've got to pick the menu. Come on, I've got to get home. I've got things to do. I've got to, I've got to prepare for church. Come on, get, it, get real. Come on. Really? Hey? Eat faster. Hurry up. You know, we can't do this. We've got to get our priorities. You know, it's, it's about prioritizing Jesus. It's about paying the price. Are we willing to do that? It's about getting in a proximity with Jesus. But it's also about, about this pervasiveness of Jesus. Jesus needs to just be all over us, you know, totally impacting our lives. Has anyone got, got some money? Anyone got any cash? This is cash, by the way. Anyone got any? Anyone got any? No, look at that. Anybody in this room got some cash? Could you get that cash out, please? I'm, don't worry, I'm not taking an offering. It's all right. We've had the offering. I'm not, I'm not doing a second offering. I'm not into that. Um, but if you, you, know, you look at you get this cash out, and you go, this is, this is $50. I don't often have one of these. I have to get this out specially. But, you know, th this, has got, this has actually got Edith Cowan on it. Wow, it's, it must have been for Mother's Day. The first woman voted, you know, when women got their rights back in the, not the 1800s, in the 1900s. How real is that? But you know, on the back, it says here, it says on this, it says, legal tender throughout Australia, signed by the governor. See, it, it bears a promise on there. It bears a promise on this, this note. It's amazing. But you know, it's about that. You know, can we pray for a moment? just want to pray for this money. Not for this money. But it's like, Lord, I want to pray right now. Who touched this? God, who touched this before me? How's it been used? Why have you entrusted 50 bucks to me or whatever you've entrusted, Lord? How can I use this to bring honor to your name? Lord, I pray for the women that have been abused using money. The children who may have been exploited by this money. The people who've been forgotten, God. Lord, the businessmen and the businesswomen in our community have put this above you. For people, Lord, who, who could live on this. I know people in the Philippines, God, who could live on this for a month. Lord, bless them right now. For people in our community who've had this taken away from them through circumstances, through mortgage increases. Lord, just bless them. And Lord, for those who can't afford to live. Lord, I lift the use of this up to you. Jesus' name. Amen. See, we can pray with anything. We can worship. But, but this thing about this money is, it has value. It has $50 value because it has a promise on it. And it has an image on it. 
We have an image stamped on us and it's Jesus. And we have a promise that he came to give life and life to the full. And you might be going, that's nice, you know. It's pristine, that one. It came out the ATM. But it doesn't matter if it's crumpled off. It doesn't matter if it's been in dirty water or dirt. You know, back in the, in the UK, the notes actually say, I promise to pay the bearer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's still worthy of worship. It's still worthy. We're still, a, we're still made in the image of Jesus, no matter what you've been through today. We need Jesus to pervade our whole lives. You know, so the question is, what is your alabaster box this morning? You know, it'll be different for all of us. What is it is most that is holding you back that you need to open up this morning? Is it reordering your life? Is it giving your God your brokenness? Like me, it was giving my brokenness. It was realigning myself. Because I was an orphan spirit. I was just broken. And I need to come back and realize that I was the son of the king. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe it's about getting things back in the way they used to be. Maybe like that guy at my house, he'd walked away. He was a prodigal. And somebody in this church has been praying for prodigals on an ongoing basis. There's another prodigal coming back to Jesus. Coming back. They're coming back, guys. It's not easy, but this is so worth it. I'm not saying why I'm talking about this morning is easy. You know, looking out. I'll look out this morning. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're worn out, but I only see in part. Maybe you've seen wars and you know all the stuff that's going on overseas and the Ukraine, and maybe maybe it troubles you because it troubles me. But there's you know maybe it's 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 about all this stuff that's going on that we we have refugees and we have all these things going on. We have broken communities. We have communities in Yas and two five eight two that just desperately need Jesus, and we struggle with it. Maybe you struggle with the accident that happened on Good Friday. People in our community died. But the thing is, what does God see? We need his lens. What does God see? What does Jesus see when he looks down on the world? He sees a once formless place that he's actually now teams with life. There's purpose in the chaos. He sees light in the darkness. He sees meaning in the senselessness. He sees our world through a different lens. And we need to see that lens. But it's a lens of love. It's a lens of devotion. You know, it's a bit like Moses in Exodus 3, 7, it said this, I have seen your suffering and I have concern for you. So no matter what you're going through this morning, God sees further than we do. He sees the end of this. These two women, they got a glimpse of Jesus and they knew it was transformational. He sees further. He sees the end of the story. He knows it and he knows the story doesn't end like today. You know, he knows how it is. And he's a God for all seasons. You know, we've got a Genesis God who brings life and he brings new beginnings. We've got an Exodus God who brings deliverance. We've got a Leviticus God who brings order. We've got a Numbers God who brings purpose. We've got a Judah God who brings a second chance. We've got a Joshua God who brings courage. We've got Judges God who confronts our warring hearts. We've got a Ruth God who brings a Redeemer and a brother. We've got a Samuel God who brings an anointing. We've got all these gods in the Bible. This is one God, but he comes in all these ways. It's amazing. We've got a king's God who brings rule. We've got a chronicle's God who brings meaning to the story. And I love 2 Chronicles 7.14. That was how we started our gathering in in Bateman. If my people who are called by my name will pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will heal their land. I will heal 2582. 
I will heal this nation of Australia. I will heal it. I will bring my presence to this nation. That's Chronicles. We've got an Ezra God. Ezra restores. We've got a Nehemiah God that's rebuilding the worlds. We've got an Esther God that brings destiny. A Job God that brings hope. We've got a Psalms God that brings honesty. I love the honesty in the Psalms. We've got Proverbs God that brings wisdom. An Ecclesiastes God that brings understanding. We've got a Song of Songs God that brings a kiss. Just kisses us like that woman kissing Jesus' feet, pouring out her devotion to him. We've got an Isaiah God that brings restoration. A Jeremiah God that brings promise. A Lamentations God that brings a listening ear. We've got an Ezekiel God that brings life. A Daniel God that brings a plan. A Hosea God that brings forgiveness. A Joel God that brings assurance. An Amos God that brings integrity. An Obadiah God that brings mercy. A Jonah God that brings compassion. Micah that brings justice. Nahum that brings opportunities. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, and I love that book too because it brings us some answers. Zephaniah that brings a song. Haggai that brings determination. Zechariah that brings power. Malachi, the God that brings honestly again. Matthew that brings us a king. Mark that brings us a brother. Luke, God that brings us a healer. John that brings us the enfleshed word. Acts that brings us the spirit. Romans brings us the good news. Corinthians God that brings us love. A Galatians God that brings us freedom. We've got Ephesians God that brings us a plan again. We've got Philippians that brings us joy. Colossians God that brings us a son. Thessalonians God that brings us patience. If you've ever asked for patience, go read that book. Timothy God that brings us guidance. Titus God that brings order. A Philemon God that brings us equality. Hebrew God that brings us a better way. A James God that brings us evidence of the faith. Peter God that brings us resilience. We've got a John God that brings us commitment. We've got a Jew God that brings us strength to stand. And we've got a revelation God that brings the last word. And the last word is God wins. God wins. We've got to celebrate that. God wins. No matter what you're walking through, God wins. What does it look like? What does it look like to be a church where God wins? What does God see? He sees a bride preparing a wedding. He sees the vine bearing fruit. He sees an army of ordinary busted up people rising up to say, I'll go where God wants me to go because my devotion is at the feet of Jesus. He brings an army. He brings power of the Spirit planted in our hearts. He brings a hope of heaven shaping us all. He brings a temple that's pure. When he looks at you today, he says you are pure. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He brings his beloved. His beloved are being redeemed. He he looks at us and he says, you're my hands, you're my voice, you're my heart. And most of all, he sees his sons and daughters. We're his kids. He sees the faces of men and women rising up putting their devotion. He sees a band of the broken being made whole. A community that will shine. Will we shine for Jesus in 2582? That's the question God said to me. Would you shine for me? Would you pour out your devotion on my feet and shine for me? Possibility is nestled in our hearts. So when we have Jesus as our priority, we see the world in a different way. God wants us to have new eyes. I really believe that. He wants us to have the eyes of Jesus. Will you begin the journey today is my question. Will you begin it? 
Will you start to open up those alabaster boxes? We're going to get the worship team to come up and they're going to just, we're going to lead us in the last song. But my, my thing is, would you, would you do that? Would you ask the Lord this morning, what is in my alabaster box, God, that's holding me back from pouring it out of your feet on most vulnerable selves? That's a challenge. You see, when we do this, we'll never be the same again. Can we pray? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for these guys. I thank you that they're going to lead us. But God, first and foremost, I, I just, right now, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to move amongst us. Do what you can. Lord, be the God that you need to be for the person today. Whichever one it is, from Genesis, Lord, to Revelation, whatever it is that people need, would you just come and touch their hearts this morning? Lord, just don't let them leave changed, unchanged. Well, come and minister. Just come and help them, Lord. Help them if they're struggling to lift off the lid of that box, to lift off the lid of that, that alabaster box and pour their all in all. You know, I had a conversation with someone this morning and he said, you know, sometimes as men, and I'm speaking as men, you know, when we get a bit vulnerable, it's like we've given away our man card, he, he put it. And I thought that's a great description. But it's not true. You see, the world wants us to buy that light. But we need to be devoted, men and women, to the feet of Jesus. So, Lord, just pour out. Pour out your spirit this morning. Help those alabaster boxes come. And we're going to be around at the end of the service. Just to, If anybody just wants to hang out and pray and, and open their boxes, I just encourage you, church. We're going to see amazing destiny, amazing things. So, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, where I've said stuff that maybe isn't on your heart, just let it drop away. But, Jesus, where it needs to go, would you plant it there this morning and make it grow? I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.